It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, which is here for your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. So question, what's your knowledge of investing, basic investing? There's a new report from MarketWatch that for most of us, not very much. It's coming up later. We got to talk about your tank. Well, the tank in your car or truck or SUV. What are you putting in that tank? A new report from AAA says that we as Americans are collectively wasting over $2 billion a year buying premium gas for vehicles that don't want it or need it. Now, what's the want or need? So this is weird, but do you know that putting premium gas regularly in a vehicle that was designed to run on regular can actually cause long-term harm to your vehicle? You think you're helping it by spending up to 50 cents a gallon more for premium. You're actually potentially hurting it, in addition to hurting your wallet with every gallon that goes in. So this really occurred to me the other day when I was filling up a rental car and somebody came up behind me and a Toyota Camry and was putting premium gas in a Camry. I was like, man, you're driving the most reliable, I guess, rolling appliance there is, and then you're turning around thinking you're treating that Camry better by putting premium in it? Oh, man. Still bothered me. And then I saw the AAA report of the $2 billion wasted dollars. Now, if you go to open your fuel filler door, and it says premium recommended, that means it's not necessary. It's only so they can advertise higher horsepower for a vehicle. Only if it says premium required or premium fuel only do you need to put in premium fuel, and that's almost no vehicles on the road. So stop wasting your money, put in regular gas, and while you're at it, Shop for the best price. With oil prices having moved up, what we're paying for a gallon of gasoline having moved up, pay attention to your tank. When you're at half a tank, that's when you should, as your normal routine, when you drive by and you see a station with a really great price, go ahead and pull in and fill up. Don't wait till you're on fumes and have to go into whatever the next station is and pay too much. Richard is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Richard. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. Richard, you are retired. I am retired, and I'm drawing a Social Security and a pension. Uh, my wife is now getting ready to retire in a few months, and she will not be eligible for a pension, but she has Social Security, of course, and a nice 401k. What do we do now? So first things first, and congratulations, both of you get to bag work. Your pension that you have, added to the Social Security that you both receive, or that she'll soon receive and you'll both be receiving, what amount of your monthly living cost will the pension and the Social Security checks cover? Will they cover 100% of your monthly living? Oh, yes. I'm, we're, we're long-time Clark Howard listeners, and uh, we are basically debt-free except for our mortgage. Uh, we have no credit card debt, no vehicle payment, none of that stuff. 
And now I have a mortgage because I had to move to a one-story house because of physical uh, inability to get around my old home, which had multiple stories. And we sort of got a small mortgage now. But other than that, we are debt-free. So you can live comfortably on the pension and the two Social Security checks? Absolutely. That's great. So then, as far as your wife's 401k, you keep it invested as if there's a long-term window till that money will be needed. So instead of going really conservative with it, the 401k should continue to be invested as something you hope to grow over time instead of preserve over time. Using her current uh, investment people that have it now? That's fine if she's happy with them. Oh, yeah, we, we have no complaints with them. We were just wondering about mandatory drawdowns people keep talking about. Uh, they talk about Social Security making big changes next year, and that might affect us, uh, you know. Okay, don't don't worry about anything, any noise anybody says about Social Security. Okay. You know, that that's a political thing, and Congress is not going to mess with your Social Security. That's good. Then what was the other thing you said? Well, don't you have a mandatory drawdown? Oh, that's not till age 70 and a half. Well, she's, she'll be 66 when she retires next year. All right, and so don't even fret about that because that is an area that very well may end up changing. Okay. Is the required okay. minimum distribution. So don't even begin to think about that yet. Okay, you call me You call me in five was. years. Oh. <laughs> we'll, talk so about, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about how those rules are going to work. Well, she lost a big amount of money then, and she's wondering if she should take it out and do some other investments with it. With her 401k? Okay. Yeah. You know, again, because the need for the money is so far in the future for, for that, maybe at some point in both of your 80s where you need money for more medical care or whatever, the big goal over the next 20 years is for that money to be broadly invested but still with an eye towards growth because you don't need it for current income. Okay. And the fact that you are so careful with your money and that you have saved so diligently, you have your expenses so low with virtually no debt at all, you have set the table perfectly and you throw into that mix that you have a pension. Wow, the two of you are so set for retirement. One thing I wanted to ask you, you said you needed to move to the one-story house. How is your health and how's your wife's health? Uh, we're, just, we're both showing the signs of age. I'm going down so quicker than she is, hopefully. But um, uh, it's just mainly joint damage and uh, hips and things like that. They regret me walking them downstairs. All right, so the, do you know why I asked that question? No. Because I'm curious what your strategy is t- if either of you need long-term care, nursing home care, assisted living facility down the road? Um, don't really have a strategy for that. All right. So that's something I'd like for both of you to look at, and you might consider getting, if you can medically qualify, long-term care insurance, because that would be the one thing that sits out there that could be a big budget buster. And you got like a two-thirds chance that one or the other of you would at some point need long-term care. I've got a little bit of information, a mini guide, on how to shop for long-term care at Clark.com. Carl is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Carl. Hi, Clark. Um, 
I got a uh, general hacking type question for you, authentication stuff. So what about, I want you to talk a little bit about bank accounts and routing numbers and, and kind of the, it seems like there's like a wide open hole number of ways if a, if a hacker got a hold of those things, um, you know, from your credit union or brokerage or bank account that they could exploit you, you know, from creating a false check to maybe doing a wire transfer. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you Sure, let's risk? not. Okay, so I've got to talk about the possibilities. At the same time, I don't want to create absolute paranoia. But let's start with, uh, with the facts you just said. So if somebody has a copy of your check, they can duplicate that, print checks at will. They can present a draft against your bank account or credit union account. And unfortunately, banks do not have the same level of security with draft presentations as they do with checks. And yes, somebody could at least temporarily make off with your money. I'm going to deal with the brokerage stuff in a second. So do you know who's responsible if a criminal goes in and takes money from your bank account or credit union account? Um, who's responsible? Yeah. Boy, I don't know. The bank. Who's responsible? The bank or credit union. If a criminal presents a fraudulent draft or a criminal prints up checks on your account and then has a field day with them, the bank or the credit union, they're responsible for the loss as long as you notice and report in a timely fashion. The ceiling on reporting is 60 days. So you're given a lot of time to say, oops, what happened here? And the only way a bank or credit union cannot reimburse you is if they claim that you are the actual perpetrator who stole money from yourself. Right. You almost have to prove that it's not you, right? Well, actually, administratively, in theory, the bank or credit union has to prove it was you. And so once you notify them, they have to either give you your money back permanently within 14 days. They call it 10, but they don't count Saturday and Sunday. Or give you what's known as a provisional credit pending the completion of their investigation, also within 14 days. Okay. What about wire transfers? My credit union and brokerage account are tied, and that seems like a similar hole. Yeah, so um, that's why I wanted to talk about the brokerages separately. The brokerage houses are not under the same legal requirement as the banks and credit unions. And the brokerage houses are far more vulnerable because... That's where people who have money are going to have their money. I mean, banks account for under 10% of people's assets now. Overwhelmingly, anybody with money is not going to take the lousy deal they get from a bank. They're going to be at a broker. So the brokerage is a big vulnerability. Now, several of the brokerage houses have expressed guarantees that you have zero liability if your account is emptied by a fraudster or harmed by a fraudster. So even though there is no explicit legal protection, you want to make sure that the investment house you're using has a clear 
an unequivocal, how do you say that word, service guarantee that in the event that a fraudster hits your account, they restore your funds in full. Okay, so you basically got to monitor and look for this trouble. Exactly. Now, on the uh, wires, you want to remove permission at your brokerage house for accepting electronic wiring instructions. If you want to protect yourself in this area, you want it to require that you go in and they see you face-to-face to initiate a wire transfer. It creates inconvenience for you, but if a criminal has successfully hacked into your account, you create a barrier that's too difficult for them to overcome when you don't allow an electronic wire transfer. Hey, do you have have time for one side question here on slightly related topic? Sure. Real quick. Go right ahead. You often mention these check scams where someone gets a check that looks like it's drawn on a bank. You know, everything looks legit that it takes six weeks for that check to flop, you know, to fall over. Why does it take so long to, for them to decide the check won't clear? I, I have no idea. Well, the case. check, here's the crazy thing. The check may initially clear, and the, the process that involves it bouncing back often is a very slow manual process. So why it takes six weeks, I don't know that, but... That's the number I've heard because it seems like it would bounce back within 24 to 48 hours, but that has not been the experience of people I've heard from who've ended up depositing these checks, and much, much later, the checks eventually come back. And again, I have no idea, Carl, why that takes so long. Jim joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jim. Hi, Clark. Jim, you got a question about something nobody ever later on, well, I shouldn't say nobody, almost nobody later on says, yippee, I'm so glad I bought a... Timeshare. How long ago did you buy one? Oh, we've got two actually, and we've had them both for probably 25 years. So you went through a long time, you actually liked having them. Well, you know, in one, our kids actually grew up going the same week every year to the same place and met friends that they'd see every year. But the kids got older. We might have gotten a little bit older, too. But, you know, we did enjoy it for a while. But we've listened to your program enough to know that you can't get out of it or there's no legitimate way to get out of it, I guess. But we're wondering what happens when my wife and I pass away. Can the kids just ignore these things? They can't ignore them. They can renounce them. But what what you should do is, I've seen this more than once. This is a terrible thing I'm going to say. So I'm only saying this tongue-in-cheek. But you're supposed to put them in your will to give to somebody you don't like. (laughs) (laughs) And leave it for them to deal with and renounce. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that terrible? Well, it seems like an effective way to uh, get even with somebody. (laughs) No, it's really hard. I mean, it's a real problem. So, yeah, if you want to make sure you don't create any kind of burden for your kids, you can either not name anybody in your will to receive them. And do you have a will? Yes. Okay. 
And you can tell whichever kid you appoint as executor, if you appoint one of your kids as executor, that your instructions are that whoever's supposed to get these renounces the inheritance, that nobody wants it. Okay. thing with the timeshare is that if you're not careful, you create a perpetual obligation that goes on after you've passed away. And that's obviously what you don't want to do here. And it's another example, even though when your kids were younger, the timeshare was something you could look forward to and use. The problem, because you can't get rid of them, is that something that even was a pleasure at one point later does become a burden. So really think if there's somebody you really don't like, Jim, it's theirs. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is where you go to save money each and every day. So Sally May, the big student loan lender, did a survey recently of basic investing knowledge of college graduates. They didn't even do the general population. They called the herd to include only college graduates. And they asked them four simple investing questions. And remember, four-question test. How many people got the four questions right? Little more than one in five. Overwhelmingly, people flunked the test. They could not answer basic questions about investing. And in addition to investing, there was one asked about just an interest question about credit cards and paying interest on one and how much the interest was and all that. They couldn't answer them. Couldn't answer them at all. And so I want you to know that no matter what somebody's degree is in, somebody could have studied economics or math or whatever. We have not, as a society, done a great job connecting people to basics about everyday use of money, savings, credit, investing. And so that's generally a societal failure but it has personal consequences for you. So I don't think it's necessarily important if it's not your area of interest to learn about how interest rates work on credit cards, how interest rates work on car loans, how basic investing works. I don't think you need to know that stuff necessarily if it's not your area of interest. But what you do need to know are the ways to handle something. So let's take something really simple, credit cards, that are something that so many people get in trouble with. So the rule you should follow is so simple, you don't have to worry what the interest rate is on a credit card if you only ever use a credit card as a payment system, meaning you only ever charge on a card what you can afford to pay when the bill comes in each month. That's really the only rule you need to know about interest on a credit card. Period. And by the way, over and over again, I hear from people that, 
oh, isn't it better for my credit and my credit score if I run a balance on a card? No, it's not. What's best for your credit and your credit standing and your credit score is that you pay every credit card bill in full every month. And if that's not possible for you, because if you have the plastic, you're going to use it, the important thing is you don't use a credit card anymore. I mean, it's that simple when you get down to the core of personal finance. With investing, we so overcomplicate investing. That's why I've got the investment guide at Clark.com, the idea being that you in just minutes, can be on the path to saving for your future, investing for your future, in like three easy steps. Because the most important thing is that you're investing money, that you're putting money in on a regular basis each and every month. It's not important to me that you understand investment theory or understand how Wall Street works or anything like that. The important thing is that you're living on less than what you make and that you're taking that less than what you make and putting it to work for your future. Paul is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? Hi. I am glad to be with you. Well, great, Paul. Uh, you are dealing with a call from the IRS. What did the IRS tell you they wanted? Well, they had quite an intimidating voice saying they had been investigating my file and have been found wanting in that there are several areas that I have been hiding and they need to be dealt with immediately. And here is a phone number that you must call or we will take the steps necessary. <laughs> and I hear in your voice you know this is completely a scam. Well, not only because of your great communications to us, but just as an individual, I know that the IRS will never telephone us. That is right. They send these letters that would make you think there's no humans there that are so dry <laughs> and so uh, impersonal. And they're not mean at all. They're almost like, Somebody saying, well, we looked at your numbers and this and this, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and, and so they're very, very non-threatening Correct. in their communication. And it will come as a letter to you, never by email, never by text, never by phone call. I really wanted to call the number that they gave me. But to be truthful, I was afraid that I would somehow uh, dial into something that was like the old things that used to happen where you dial a number and you suddenly get a bill for hundreds of dollars and things like that. The, so what was the, called the 809 scam at the time. Um, right. I'm not hearing about that much anymore. The real thing is that you would identify yourself as a potential mark. They'd have your number, decide that you were a, a fresh target that they could go after repeatedly to try to intimidate you. And the most important thing is no one should ever, ever, ever return one of those phone calls, reply to a text, reply to an email. Where do we send it, Clark? Where do we send it to someone? You just did. 
You just did. I mean, you just told millions of people. And that's the real power that you have. You know, with these scams, the most important thing is for people to be informed. Because if you know how the games work, you avoid doing them. As far as reporting to any legal authority or anything like that, don't bother, don't worry. You've done your job already with what you've done by being here with me, sharing with your fellow listener. It makes you a member of Team Clark. Ruth is with us. Hello, Ruth. Hello. How are you? Taking my call, Clark. I have a question about a ring that has a loose diamond on it, and I want to get it repaired, but I don't know how I can be sure that I can get the same diamond back that I take into a jewelry store. That is a great question. What would you guess is the value of this diamond? The ring itself, I think, is about $16,000. Okay. All right. What you do in a case like that is you go to see in advance of taking the ring in to get repaired, you go see what's known as a graduate gemologist. Okay. And you have him or her map the stone. Every diamond has kind of like a unique mapping to it. And I don't know if you've ever seen a map diamond, but it's one of those things that's like, wow, look how precise this mapping is. But they look at it under a scope and they, they draw the map of that diamond. So before you would take it in to have a repair done, you get it mapped by a graduate gemologist. Then you go back to him or her later to just check to make sure that the stone that you get back is in fact identical to the one that you took. Oh, I see. Because when I've had the call in the past from someone after they've had a, a diamond setting repaired and they think they've had a diamond switch on them, and there's no way to prove it because they didn't have mapping. Mapping is almost like the unique DNA of a diamond. And that's different from just an appraisal? I'm completely appraisal. completely different than an appraisal. Okay. Because an appraisal is just an estimation, usually for insurance purposes, mm-hmm. what the value of a stone is. But okay. mapping the stone is what gives you what you're looking for. Okay. And I would just look in the phone book under gemologist you know i haven't looked in a phone book in years i i, I well, guess I do that. <laughs> i'll tell you a funny story we have a, a vacation condo and once a year the phone company delivers phone books and they deliver them to the lobby for a month the pile never got <laughs> any smaller nobody took there were 36 units not a single phone book ever left that stack. Oh, my goodness. Zero for 36 wanted a phone book. So mm. I, I don't even think that way anymore. I, I was going to say, well, you go on the Internet and you put in for graduate gemologists with your city name. But I, I guess well, it I would work that, in a phone book. Well, I'll do it your way, though. That sounds even easier. Just go on to the Internet and look for graduate gemologists. Right. Go to Google or um, uh-huh. or Bing and just okay. put in uh graduate gemologist and then next to it your city name you'll see the names of ones Mm -hmm. and then how would you go about picking a store to have it repaired at well you know after you have it mapped after you have the Mm -hmm. map you could ask the graduate gemologist him or herself uh, which jeweler they like for repairs Mm -hmm. okay great that's good advice all right you take care thank you Bye. bye okay joe 
How are you? Good. How about you? Great. Thank you, Joe. How can I be of service to you? So I'm thinking about refining my house, but my big question is, is it ever a good idea to refi your house if your mortgage interest rate will go up? I currently owe about, keep the numbers around 250000 I have an FHA loan with a mega bank that's at 3.75%, and I'm at have 25 years or so left on that, and I do pay PMI on it. Actually, you pay, um, so if I, it's FHA, you're paying something called MIP. Yeah, and and yeah, it never that. goes away where PMI, after a certain period of time, and once you develop enough equity, you can remove the PMI, but with an FHA loan, that's a forever. Well, so I got in actually um, a few months before they went to that, so I actually can get rid of the PMI once I get to the 78% of the loan value. Oh, well, that's great. So that will take me about nine more years based on just paying as is with the mortgage. So the new rate that I would get would be 4.375. It would go back to a 30-year, and I would get rid of the PMI, and it would save me about another $20 or so a month. Definitely don't do it. Definitely don't do it. Definitely don't do it, because you have, you said you've paid four years on the loan already? Yeah, closer to five. All right, so you're nearly five years in. You go back into a new 30 you're creating an enormous additional liability. If you figure out that you are going to pay nearly five years of additional payments, almost equal to what you pay now in mortgage plus with the mortgage insurance that will at some point go away, that would not be a good deal for you. Okay. Now, would it matter at all if I was planning on potentially not staying in the house? No. Okay. No, because you're re-amortizing the loan. You're basically starting over. You're reducing how much your principal would go down each month. And so I would not consider that. Okay. And especially if Uh, you're not going to stay around a long time to refi into a higher rate and have closing costs on top of it that you may not be able to recover in the time period you might want to remain in the home. I would say there's, there's several reasons why you don't want to go that direction. Now, would it change your mind at all if I told you there was no closing cost? It would not change my mind because the savings of only $20 a month doesn't make it worth it for you to go into what is a higher rate and five additional years of debt. Yeah, the total savings is about $259 a month, but it's only $20 off the regular payment. The rest of it is the loss of the PMI going to a conventional loan. You lost me there. So So you're saying that... The the total monthly savings is $259 a month off of... If I go... Oh, 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 but that's not true savings. Because remember, you're re-amortizing a loan. Think of it as if you have a 25-year loan right now. Yep. And you're going into a new 30-year loan. Just because it has the appearance of a lower payment, it's not really. Because you've added an additional 20% of time to your loan amortization. Okay, gotcha. So this is just, uh, I can't think of a circumstance where what you're saying would make sense. And it's good that you found one that's a no closing cost, but it still doesn't make these numbers work for you to do this 
particular switcheroo. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. G-Line is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing? I'm well, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You are doing a great thing as a daughter, helping to take care of your mom. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Um, My sister and I kind of swap off calling various doctors, and she's had some health issues. And so we're always calling someone, asking questions, and just trying to keep track of that. We're looking for some sort of web-based application that we could, like a live document. She could make changes. I could update it. We could both see what one another is doing. Do you have any recommendations for that? I do. It's free, and I love it so much. Uh, we wrote my last book where I collaborated with my co-author on this particular app, and I loved it because it was free and also because it works perfectly for what you and your sister need to do. And it's a free product from Google called Google Docs. Okay. Yeah, I think my daughter uses it in school. Well, see, your daughter's all... She's the one who could have answered this, right? Because <laughs> Google, <laughs> Google Docs is fantastic because you can write, you can edit, you can collaborate, and you can do it on your phone. You can do it on a laptop, a tablet, however you want to. The two of you are able to collaborate and keep up to date. That is, that's perfect. Exactly what we want. And it, then you can, you can have other people look at it too, like my brother. Exactly. You can have read. Okay. You can have read-only people. You know that you share with. You can have people that you give full permission to, that can both read and write, and in other words, edit. So it gives you exactly what you need as a family to be able to communicate on what's going on with your mom. Well, that is perfect. Thank you so much. Sure. And you know what? It's so good, as cheap as I am, that even if I had to pay for it, I would pay for it for collaboration. It's so good. But the price of free is what makes it incredibly a value. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.